Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Well, I want to ask you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 1, if you have them. 2 Timothy 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7, and <clears throat> that's an, actually an old slide, I apologize. The name of the, the message is actually more than a mother's legacy, it's really about spiritual parenthood. Because I realize in this passage that it's more than just moms, it's spiritual parenting, whether you are a mom or a dad, whether you are a biological mom and dad or a spiritual one. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit. And I don't know how you feel about your mother. I'm not going to presume that everybody has warm, fuzzy, fond thoughts of their mother. Uh, Some people had a very difficult relationship with their moms growing up. But I want us all to at least acknowledge one thing that we can all affirm. That that woman, with all her, her wonderful qualities and all her imperfections, without fail, every last one of us, that woman was the one that God chose to use to bring us into the world. She was our doorway into this planet. Now, I haven't met anyone here who got hatched by an egg or was found under a bridge, no matter what your parents told you. Every one of us entered the world through a woman. And at the very least, we must acknowledge that that was part of God's plan for our lives and to be grateful even for the challenges we had growing up. Everybody feels strongly about their parents. Isn't that true? Everybody feels strongly about their parents. And maybe that's the most compelling proof that parents are exceedingly important in children's lives. They make such a strong impact on us that the the touch of our parents follows us well into adulthood. I mean, some of us are in our 30s and 40s and maybe beyond. And even today, to this day in our adult lives... We're still having mommy and daddy issues, aren't we? How often have you just paused and go, oh my goodness, I am totally my dad. Or I've become my mother. And maybe that's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing, but you realize that the fingerprint of your parents on your life is extremely significant. And so we want to acknowledge that. And we want to look at this, this passage that speaks to the value and the power of parenting and how it can be done well, God's way. 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 1-7 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love, and self-control. That's a powerful passage. If you are fairly new to the Bible, or you just don't know a whole lot about Timothy, let me give you some important background that will help you to understand the full significance of this piece of the letter that you, you read. A lot of the New Testament consists of what we call epistles, which are um, letters written from one Christian to another group of Christians or to an individual, which by the power of God's Spirit was preserved as being such important writing, they summarized the faith for us. They were included in the Bible, even though they got their beginnings, as simply a letter written from one person to another. And the letter of 2 Timothy is the second letter that, Timothy wrote, that Paul wrote to a young man named Timothy, whom he'd adopted like a spiritual son. Now, you should know something about, about Paul as well. Uh, we always assume that everyone in the church knows who Paul is. Maybe you don't. Paul is an interesting figure, perhaps the most prominent leader of the early church after Jesus and, and, his, and his disciples began to spread the gospel. Paul used to be the sworn arch enemy of Christianity. He used to chase after Christians, persecute them mercilessly, until one day on a road 
to Damascus, a city far away where he was going to seek out and hunt even more Christians to persecute them, he was gloriously converted as he confronted Jesus on the road there. Jesus confronted him, rather, and he came to know the Lord. Now, obviously, you can understand he had a very difficult entry into the church because he used to be their, their top most wanted guy, and all of a sudden, he had become one of them. And understandably, a lot of people were skeptical about Paul. But it turns out after a while, by God's, God's grace, they accepted Paul into the church, and he soon showed his leadership gifts, and he became one of the most prominent leaders. Early in his ministry, his good friend Barnabas and he were commissioned by the church to go on this long missionary journey, the first of three, or, or depending on how you read the Bible, possibly four missionary journeys which Paul went on. And you know how it is, the first significant ministry experience you have in your life is always very formative and memorable for you. I, I still remember my first assignment as a youth pastor before seminary, any of it, um, I, I served at a church called Highland, and there were some kids there who became real special to me because they were the first people on earth who called me youth pastor. And those first experiences are very precious to somebody who serves the Lord. Well, on this first missionary journey, Paul happened to visit a city called Lystra. And in this city, uh, they preached the gospel, and a lot of people came to salvation in Jesus Christ. Among them was a woman named Eunice and her young son, Timothy. Now, this family became very important, and Paul so loved this young man, Timothy, that he took him under his wings, had a vision for his life, and made this huge investment in Timothy's life. And so to this day, we speak often in pastoral ministry of, do you have your Timothy, someone younger than you of the same gender, who is being led in the faith, trained up in the faith and for life and ministry by your influence in their lives? Ideally, it would be good if for many of us, our own children were our Timothys, and that is in part what we want to talk about this morning. And so that's some of the background. You should also know that 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote that was included in the Bible. In fact, it was the last letter he wrote that was included before he would die by execution under the hands of the Roman emperor. Now you may be wondering, where's Timothy's biological father in all this? Well, Eunice was not a single mom. She had a husband, but her husband, what just happened? Her husband was um, an unbelieving Greek. He was what they called a Gentile, and he did not have any openness to Christianity. And so, as you might imagine, Timothy grew up in a two-religion household where from his mother he was getting a certain set of influences and from his father he was getting another set altogether. Now, some of you can definitely identify with the experience of growing up in a home where one of your parents, and unfortunately it just seems to be the case that a lot of the times it's the moms who are stoking the fires of Christian faith and the fathers who often would rather stay home and watch the game. And some of you have grown up in a home like that where there was a little bit of confusion because your parents had two different religions. Well, that was the case for Timothy, and that left a big vacuum in his life because he didn't have a father who was equipped to teach him what it was to be a godly man as he was growing up. I mean, he could teach him how to be a chest-thumping manly man, you know, the kind of man who opens doors for ladies and plays sports well and all that, but he didn't have a father who could tell him how to negotiate the ups and downs of a very messy world in a way that brought glory to God. Well, enter Paul. And God is a faithful heavenly father, and so he raised up this man who had this unusual concern for this young man, and he became for Timothy, spiritually, all the things that his biological father could not be. Now, of course, if that's your situation in your family, it's my hope and my prayer that that father or mother who is not, a, not with the Lord would come home to Jesus very soon. And that is definitely not out of the, qu the question. But for many of us, we were not raised spiritually by our biological parents, but God raised special people up, mentors or friends or pastors who play that role in our lives. And so this, this passage from 2 Timothy is a great illustration that whether it's spiritual parenting the way that um, Paul did for Timothy, or whether it's parenting spiritually, which is what Timothy's grandmother and mother did for him, those two kinds of parenting work together under God's hand 
to raise up the next generation who would love and honor the Lord. And so I've, I've just put this little play on one you because both kinds are important. Paul didn't take all the credit. He recognized that what he did in Timothy's life simply built on top of what his own grandmother and mother were demonstrating every single day in front of this young man. <clears throat> I combine both kinds of parenting under the banner of what we call spiritual parenthood. And I want to encourage you to see that this is relevant for all of us. Even if you don't have children, there is someone in your life very likely that God would like you to influence spiritually in this way and hold up their hearts for the Lord. So let me point out a few things we can learn from this passage about what good spiritual parenthood looks like. And the first thing I notice is good spiritual parenthood is loving. It's loving. Now this is, like I said, the last letter that Paul would write in his earthly life. He was in Rome and writing this letter from prison. He had been put up on charges because he was preaching a religion that the Roman government did not support. Because in this religion, it spoke of Jesus as the king of kings when Caesar was indisputably the emperor and the king of all things under Roman law. And so he was brought up on charges at his initial hearing. All his friends became scaredy cats, and they ditched him. He was like, I have lots of witnesses who tell me that this is the right way to live. And he looked around, and all his friends had run for the hills. Now, have you ever had that experience when you really needed your friends to get your back, and you thought they were with you, and you turned around, and all you heard were crickets chirping, and tumbleweed went blowing across the street? You're like, what gives? And so you can tell already, Paul was in a very low state of mind. He felt like all these people he invested in had run. And now he was awaiting trial, and in the spirit he knew that this trial would most certainly lead to his execution. And so he sits down with a piece of paper and a pen, and he writes this last letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, whom he knew in his heart would read this letter and not abandon him. He had left Timothy intentionally in a city called Ephesus to carry on the ministry that he had started. But in this letter, he says, Timothy, I need you more than ever. Come to me and visit me one last time before I leave this earth. And as you receive this letter, let me give you some powerful words of encouragement and instruction as my last act of spiritual fathering in your life. And as you read this, you see the deep love, which is so evident. It says to Timothy, my beloved child. It's pretty presumptuous to call someone else's kid your beloved child unless you have made an extraordinary sacrifice and investment in that kid's life so that he knows, too, you are like a father to him or a mother to him. And he says, as I remember your tears, meaning that when they said goodbye last, this is not just see you later, have a good life. This was a, a heartfelt love that they had. And he longs to see his spiritual son, Timothy. What's also interesting is every other letter Paul writes, he opens with grace and peace. But just for his spiritual son, Timothy, he throws in the word mercy in the greeting. And that happens in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. The word mercy is compassionate kindness. He says, uh, he says to his son, Timothy, I hope that what you get from God is not, not just theological grace and freedom and the peace that comes with it, but also in the little nooks and crannies of your life, you would experience this compassionate kindness from God. It's not that he didn't wish that for others, but he needed to mention it for Timothy to set him apart from others who would receive his letters. This is personal between us. Paul would later illustrate for us how important it is that love should accompany the process of giving spiritual influence. It's so important that we're not just people who rattle on and on lecturing about the right way to do things, but in the way that we parent, whether it's spiritual parenting or parenting spiritually, if it is not filled with love, bathing those kids in love, it says, in the end, they will remember you as this. Do you know that that's what some of your kids hear when you're talking? And they're like, you might as well not be saying anything because it's such a common occurrence in your home to hear blah, 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 with no love. But where there is love, the voice breaks through and that noisy gong and clanging cymbal become words 
that bring life. The reason I included that picture is when you grow tomato plants, the stalk is simply too weak to support the weight of all that heavy fruit. And so you put a big stake in the middle of the plant and you tie the stem to that stake so that as it's growing, it will be supported and know which way up is. Otherwise, tomato plants would just grow all over the place. Well, I think a lot of us see ourselves as parents as that stick. And it's important. Without the stick, the tomato plant can't flourish well. So the stick is indispensable, but it's not the complete picture. Because you can put that nice, stiff stick right in there and go, this is children, the way that we should live. I'm going to lecture you about right and wrong and justice and good and even all that. And you can say everything, and it's important and necessary. But that stick becomes irrelevant if the sun doesn't beat down on that plant, if the waters don't come, the soil is not rich, then all you're doing is giving guidance to a dying plant. And that's what's happening in so many homes. That's what's happening in so many homes and in so many mentoring relationships. It's all about rebuking. I'm going I'm to open up a can on you. I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. I'm going to tell you what you've done right and wrong. It's as if all we are is a spiritual or religious report card guide rails, a stake for the plant to be tied to. But if it is not bathed in love, then you are directing that which does not grow. And it won't matter that you're there. Paul says very provocatively in 1 Corinthians 13, without love, I have nothing, I am nothing, I gain nothing. Right and wrong are not the most indispensable ingredients of life on earth. They are exceedingly important. But God himself taught us by his own word, love is the greatest thing. And without it, all of your pleading for what is right and wrong will make no difference in this world. I promise you that. Without the gun, without the penal system, without a whip, you will never change the world unless there's love. Hopefully, we don't have to see those things as mutually exclusive. We don't want the people waving flowers and going, everything's okay on this side, and the people going, no, we're going to march in lockstep without love. Those are not the only pictures available to us. The two things are found perfectly joined together in Christ and in all those who follow him. Real strength and authority when it comes to right and wrong, but tempered with, bathed in, genuine love, the kind that even those receiving it would testify, that person really loved me. It's so important that we love those that we seek to influence because without it, all else is lost and forgotten. We also learn that spiritual parenthood is committed. It's committed. Listen to what he says. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I noticed two important things which Paul is saying about his spiritual fathering of Timothy. And the first is he has a clear conscience about it. He doesn't live with this nagging guilt of all the things he did that were damaging or all the things he failed to do that could have given life. He looks over his life and says, you know, I really did the best with what was available to me. I gave you the best I knew how to give. And when I failed, I gave you up to the Lord in prayer. I don't have this woulda, shoulda, coulda syndrome burning a hole in my gut saying, man, you are so inadequate, you have failed. Because when he had the opportunity and the open windows to do something, he did it without fail as much as he could. Now, I'm not trying to get us to compete with Paul, but simply to learn this principle. If you do not obey the Lord when you have the opening to obey him, if you don't do that which can be done now, but postpone it forever, then what you're doing is storing up tomorrow's apologies and tomorrow's regrets today. And I can just tell you, that's what a lot of moms and dads happen to be doing in America today. Not now, honey. Daddy's working. A little later, we're busy right now. And we do this again and again. And again. Now, listen. Sometimes that's very appropriate. Children need to learn boundaries. You can't be their slave. But only you know the answer to this question. Do you have a clear conscience about those kids you've been called to raise? Do you have 
clear conscience about those Christians whom God has asked you to disciple and mentor in the ways of Jesus Christ. We become spiritual parents when we, for example, lead someone to salvation and we become the person by whom they came to know of the gospel and by virtue of that act, we become spiritual adoptive parents in a way. And we bear a responsibility for watching over them and helping them to grow until they get on their feet. Do you have a clear conscience about those people in your life over whom you have an obligation? I've been asking that question of myself. And the the point of the question is not to produce guilt, but to prompt action today. Let's forget about all your past failures because unlike that, that gizmo contraption in Napoleon Dynamite, there is no time machine, okay? You can't hook electrodes up to body parts and travel in time. The past is already done. Crumple it up and throw it away. It has very little value for now. The question is, will you still feel guilty tomorrow? Feeling guilty today is about what you did or didn't do yesterday. Feeling guilty tomorrow is about your response to God now. And I think it's important as we spiritually parent that we aim to do it without regrets and apologies. And if you're married, can I please encourage you, listen to the nagging of your spouse. Please. That person has been trying to say something exceedingly important to you, and because they've said it so many times, you've written it off as static, as background noise, but that is the voice of God to you. They're saying, please, try to be more available. Please stop just being the dude who brings home a paycheck or gives the big spankings, oh, wait till your daddy gets home. That's not your only role. When you listen to your spouse saying, if you hear your husband saying to you, honey, Calm down. Don't be so angry. Listen. You are there to serve each other in this way, covering each other's blind spots so that you don't have to keep building regrets for tomorrow. I also see here that he says one of the reasons he has a clear conscience is that he prays for Timothy night and day. Night and day. And I don't know how to elaborate too much on that except to say, Perhaps the most influential thing we can ever do in another person's life is to pray for them. You want to know the truth? My parents are great parents. But I remember only a couple lectures they gave me. Now, don't don't get the wrong idea. They gave me a ton of lectures, especially my mom. My mom gave many, many, many lectures to me. I don't remember 99% of them. But do you know what spoke to me? I know that my mom prayed for me every single day. To this day still, she is incredibly faithful in praying for me. And I know that there is this, this sincerity to her love for me. And I know that God has been working in my life in ways that I cannot directly attribute to my mom or my dad. And looking back, I can see clearly they had their imperfections, but the one thing they did right was they brought me before the feet of God and they fought for me on their knees. If we're not praying for our children, biological or spiritual, we should have very, very tempered expectations about what's going to happen for their lives later on. Now, I know that this is an area that as soon as I say it, we all feel guilty. I feel guilty too. I'm not going to pretend I've got this all together. Like every night I'm doing the route, I'm praying over all my children and light is flashing from my hands onto all of them. Don't get that idea. This is an area of growth for me and my wife as well. And last night we spent some time praying for our children and it was a sweet time, but I realized that it doesn't happen enough. The greatest thing we can do for another person ultimately is to pray for them. We also learn that spiritual parenthood is sincere. Listen to what Paul writes. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. And that word sincere is very important. Back in 2003, I taught on this word sincere. It's it's, um, based in the, the Latin root sine sera 
which means without wax. And the reason I've included that picture of a pot is in the ancient world, in the, in the marketplace, sometimes you get a pot that had seen better days. It was cracked or defected. And what some merchants would do is they would fill in the imperfections with wax and then paint over the imperfections to give the appearance that this pot is as good as new. When, in fact, you know that as soon as you get it home, just like some of those fake knockoffs you buy in Korea and China, you get it home and zip it up once and it breaks. It's worthless. But in the store, it looked great. And so this kind of deception created all kinds of confusion in the marketplace and made everyone cynical. People were like, I'm not buying pottery from that market. It's all garbage. And so what some merchants began to do is they would stamp into their pottery, sine sera, without wax, meaning what you see is what you get. This is a genuine article. No deception, no misleading. This is the real deal. It came to now be passed on to us as the word sincere, meaning what you see truly reflects what's underneath. There is no act, no smoke and mirrors. This person lives it out just like they say. And what Paul is saying is that Timothy had the privilege of growing up under a grandmother and a mother who had such a faith that it would be called without wax, without deception. It was real. It wasn't the Christianity of lectures and spankings. It wasn't the Christianity of, we're going to go to church because that's what this family does on Sunday. We go to church. How many parents in America are bringing their kids to church but are not bringing their kids to Christ? Anyone can raise a religious child. That's not what Lois and Eunice and Paul were doing. What they were passing along was not faith of rigid religion, of which tribe, which team we play for. It was the real deal, so sincere that when you examine their life every day, you began to get a visual illustration of the words of theology. This was a person who not only talked about love, but every time Paul was walking with Timothy in the marketplace, he would see Timothy stoop by somebody who was sick and say, how are you? What's going on? Is there any way I can help you? This is what he watched. And that's why I was saying before, I don't remember a lot of the lectures that my mom gave us, but I remember a lot of the things my mom did. I think it makes a profound impact on a child's life to live in a home where the authority figures live out what they say they believe. It's not about remembering your lectures. But it's about the fact that if you are being genuinely transformed in Christ, then you will impact the next generation simply by being alive in their presence. And you kind of see it. There are some adults that children, even if they're not related to them, they walk in a room, the children run to them, they flock to them. They love them because it's not like they're good with children. They are like children themselves. There is an honest childlikeness that children recognize, and they want to be around that adult. It's not because they stood in a circle of kids and said, Children, I'm very good with you kids. I want you to know that I can be trusted, and when I walk in the room from now on, run to me. Run to me. It'll look really good for me. It might help me get women and, you know, like... That's not what it is. It's just instinctive. You know the smell of real stuff when you smell it, don't you? And nothing's more discouraging than thinking from afar, oh, look, look, and then you get closer, you go, oh, it's just fakes. It's not the real thing, man. I thought it was going to be something, but it's something else altogether. That's very disappointing. And can you imagine how disappointing that is for children who hear things from us but don't see things in us. But on the flip side, do you realize how powerful an impact many of us are making in our children's lives because Jesus is actually changing us? In my years at this church, I have watched and listened to parents apologize to their children. Do you have any idea how out of place that is in a predominantly Asian church? How many of you Asian people heard your parents apologize to you genuinely? And not just when they ran over your bike with their car, but like when they lost their temper. You know what, son? It was wrong of me to hit you in anger. To raise my voice that way without love, I apologize for you, to you, and I ask you to, to forgive me, and you, you need to know that daddy loves you. I hear words like that at this church. 
It's a lazy parent who only wields the rod of discipline and does not know how to be transformed in Christ in front of their children. An insecure person who needs to have this massive buffer between them and everyone under them so that they cast an impression on others. But when you poke in deep, there's nothing but weakness underneath, like a balloon that you poke and nothing but air comes out. God has called us not to focus on how we parent, but the fact is, We lead out of who we are. Your kids are not getting what you plan to give them. They're getting you. In the same way that I wanted my children to be tall, but my genes betrayed me. And all of my good wishes for their height are not met because, let's face it, my children are in the fifth percentile of height. They always get mistaken for being in the wrong league in sports because all their teammates are like giants to their, their Goliaths to their David. You know, it, it's so amazing to see that. And I think we are what we are. You know, in my heart, I feel tall. I do. I just, I feel confident. I feel kind of together. But in my body, I'm an Oompa Loompa. That's just what it is. When I stand next to tall people, I'm always thinking, if I had your height, what I'd do? What I'd do with that height? Just like our physical attributes, we will pass on to our children and to our disciples the substance of who we truly are, not the wind that is in our lungs. I think that's an encouraging and convicting idea at the same time, don't you? You okay with one more? Let me give you one last thing here. Spiritual parenthood is empowering. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You know, when you read the New Testament carefully, a certain picture of Paul emerges. It's a picture of a man of action and conviction and strength. He's a man on a mission with purpose. You know, you get this picture of Paul. He's a type A driven, nothing but the business going on. And that's the picture you get. But then when you read the New Testament carefully, a picture of Timothy also emerges. And it's not such an inspiring picture. It's a picture of a young man who's fearful That's why Paul feels compelled in this place and others to remind him, God didn't give us a spirit of not just fear here, but the word is timidity. I don't don't know if I, I don't want to. You know, that kind of kid who never wants to try anything new. Here, taste this. What is it? Poke said, I don't want to try it. I don't know what that is. And you know how you dads sometimes are. Even the moms are like, why is my kid such a wuss? I wanted the kids who's like, put it in my mouth, daddy. I want to try new things. I want to jump out of airplanes. I want to pet scary looking dogs. And, you know, we want that. But here's this kid who's like this, <sighs> always nervous, always worried, always asking questions about safety. Is it okay? Who's going to be there? What's going to happen? It also emerges a picture of a guy who's unhealthy. Hey, Timmy. Stop drinking only water. Use a little wine for medicinal purposes, you know, because your stomach and your frequent illnesses, this is a sickling. You know those people who are always sick? You're like, don't call in sick, call in healthy. Just come in when you can because you're sick all the time, dude. What do you guys have, bacteria filters in, in, your, in your tap water? And you know that person who's just always, oh, this and that? And, and so if you're around people like that, you start to, always make allowances for the fact that they're going to be a little weak or a little sick. Now, that's Timothy contrasted to Paul. Here's the last one, insecure. Now, Timmy, listen, I know you're young. I put you in leadership over all these older dudes, but don't let people keep looking down on you because you're young. So you get the idea that Timothy was writing letters back to Paul, going, I did exactly what you told me. I said it, and they all said, who are you, kid? And now I don't want to lead anymore. I want to come home. And Paul's going, Timmy, don't be such a a wimp. You are a leader anointed by God. Do your job. Don't listen to those old fools. They don't know what they're talking about. So here we have a picture of a young man 
who is timid, sickly, and insecure. And he's being mentored by a guy who is a man's man, a man who would shake the foundations of the world for God's glory. And I ask you, should a man like Paul be drawn to a young man like Timothy? See, those of us who think of ourselves as jocks, we kind of are drawn to those young kids who have a great arm, like, oh, I want to mold this kid. My son, you know, not so much. He just can't throw and stuff. But, but my, that kid, man, I want to shape him. He could go places. And you go to all his games, and your own kid's like, you never come to my recitals or chess matches. And you're like, yeah, but that kid could throw a ball. We are drawn to who's like us, aren't we? But sometimes God calls you into the life of somebody who is everything you're not. And his, his mission for you is this. Breathe life into that weakness. Speak power into frailty. Because if nobody intervenes, that child will grow up to be a fearful, timid, sickly, insecure man. But if someone will step in, he will be more tomorrow than he is today. Listen, look at that, that picture. Some of you know what that is. That's a fireplace bellows. It's an old-fashioned tool for blowing wind into a, a fire. What Paul says is, fan into flame this gift of God, meaning that God's gifting, the things he's deposited in us, and really through parenting, which is why he connects it with, for this reason. He says, because God has used me and your mother and your grandmother to deposit certain wonderful things in you, you have to be diligent to fan it into flame. That word only exists here in the New Testament. And it's a word that, that pictures a bellows. When a fire is slowly dying, you have some embers buried under a layer of soot and ash, and then you take that bellows and you go, whoo, whoo, and what happens? All the ash kind of kicks up, and you see what was kind of black and a little orange turn bright orange, and the fire starts kind of glowing again. All of a sudden, whoo, flames catch again. And he's saying, that's what we've got to do. God is depositing things into people's lives, but if it's not empowered with some wind onto those dying embers, they will not become a flame. Now, I know that it's possible for parents to become disappointed with their children. I know that that's a common occurrence. There are wishes you had, you wanted to live vicariously through your children, and they're just not obeying the script. That's normal. But we need to respond to our disappointment God's way. And the way godly people respond to their disappointment is not by condemning and naming all the imperfections and incompleteness in others. You know how it kills the soul of a child to be told repeatedly what they're not? You're so undependable. You're such a coward. You never try anything new. You never listen. Why don't you obey? And all these things we say because they're true factually. And they would be true if your children were raised by wolves without anyone to speak life into them. We are condemning them for who they are without us. But I tell you, God has provided you in your children's lives to be an intervention. To say, I can describe who you are, or I can tell you who you can be. Now, that's a little unrealistic. Once in a while, you've got to throw in a good, you're, you're a no good kid. Just to, you know, get, get that out of your system. But listen, that cannot be all they ever get from you. Because they get that everywhere. They get picked last in gym class. They don't need you to tell them they stink at sports. All their classmates and their gym teacher tells them that. They don't need their daddy telling them that they stink. They need their daddy saying, you know what, maybe it's because I never throw anything at you except food and money. And I expect you to be an athlete because you got my genes. That doesn't work. Maybe it's that you love something that I don't understand. I've never taken an interest in what makes you, your heart beat faster. Do you realize that we are called to fan into flame those things which God is depositing into our children? And if we do it, then we get the moral authority to say to them, don't you forget what mom and dad gave you, what the Lord has put into you. You keep fanning that flame too. And let me just say a word before I close about that. 
Some of you received a rich deposit from God through your parents. There are some things which your parents, spiritual or biological, put into your life. And you remember those days when it felt alive inside, right? But in the intervening years, you've let that flame die out. Through neglect, through comfort-seeking or disobedience, And so the rich deposit of God's gift put in you is starting to fade. And I think one of the things God wants you to hear today is, think about those things which your parents taught you, which they modeled for you, which when you were younger you loved, but they've stopped being a part of your life. And fan into flame those rich deposits which God put in you. Please do that. Because then you're going to see something amazing happen in your life, in the lives around you. And let me just summarize. Spiritual parenthood done God's way is loving. Remember, you're not just the stick in the middle of the tomato plant. You are also called by God to be the sun and the rain and the nutrients in the soil. You are supposed to love and not just correct and guide. Let's never forget that. Spiritual parenthood is also committed. It's it's commitment without regrets, without apology. And it's committed to prayer above all things because prayer is an admission that there is so much I can't do. It's an active turning over of these people into the hands of Almighty God, their Heavenly Father, in all the areas where I, as an earthly father, will fall flat on my face. It's committed. It's also sincere. It's not, a, it's not a parenting made up of good curriculum, of solid convictions and posters on the wall and paintings over our dining table. That is not the substance of our faith. But we are called to have and to pass down a sincere faith so that when my child is being interviewed later and said, tell me, of, and by the way, do you know when you become a deacon or an elder at our church? We interview all of the teenage children. We interview the spouse as well, but we're trying to get an idea of, all right, we know who you are, but in the PR side, who you put out there, we want to know who you really are. So we're going to get your wife aside or your husband aside, and we're going to ask them to tell us, come on, just you can, it's okay, it's safe here. Tell us who they really are. And then we bring the children in too, because it's important. They're the ones who you can't lie in front of. If you're the real deal, your children left to their own devices will do a word association. Give us one word that you associate with your daddy. Xbox, (laughs) Blu-ray, EFPN. You know, like, what will they say in that one-word association? Sincere faith is this, that when they're cornered and asked to testify about what you are to them, what comes out is the true, honest picture of who you are, not just what you blab. Make no mistakes, our words are important but our lives will always speak more loudly than our words. And finally, spiritual parenthood is empowering. It doesn't simply describe and condemn children for where they are today. It constantly reminds them that God can make them more. It speaks into their weakness and frailty and insecurity and says, no, God is greater than that and so can you be. Don't ever stop believing in that. Do you th- just look at that list for a moment. Let it marinate. Picture what it would be like for a child to grow up under that every single day. Picture what it would look like for someone who is new and young in the faith to find a mentor like that. Imagine what could happen in someone's life if we would parent spiritually. So what should our response be? I'll give you two sentences. Our first response should just be to honor God and those God's used who parented us spiritually. We need to take a moment today, not just to call our parents, but to genuinely thank them, acknowledge everything they've done. Once in a while, we should go, thanks just for wiping my butt after I dirtied my diaper. I mean, talk about an undignified act, and you did it Hundreds of times for me. Thank you just starting all the way back to that, that you cared for me. 
And we should thank them for the legacy of faith they poured into us. If God used other people beyond your biological parents to raise you spiritually, pastors or mentors from way back, I think it's a good idea to call them up every now and then and just say, hey, how's life going? I want to thank you for what you did in my life. Is there some way I can serve you or pray for you today? And the second response is, we should commit ourselves when it's our turn now to be those spiritual parents for someone else. I really enjoy hanging around with our youth group kids. They're very interesting kids. And I I would encourage some of you, if you don't have biological children, but you really believe in the, the need for the next generation to know the Lord vibrantly, I would ask you to seriously consider serving as a volunteer in our youth group ministry. You'll have an amazing opportunity to mentor and to help shape the growing, emerging faith of some of these kids, including my own. And I would be so grateful if you did that. Even if you don't have biological children, God is calling you to mentor someone. I think we all need to have our Timothys. Do you have a Timothy? Someone who says, man, if it weren't for that person in my life, I'm not entirely sure where I might be today. But they didn't just walk past me. They stopped, they looked at me, they saw me, and they poured all the best of what they were into my life. And I will be eternally grateful for that investment in me. I pray that God will lead you to a Timothy. And if you have children biologically, I pray that your children will be your first Timothys and that you will use this day in Christ to be a day of recommitment and reflection. And Harvest Community Church, can I just just encourage all of us, let this be the last day of storing up tomorrow's regrets and apologies. Tomorrow's past, but today you can be a different person. And you can play a very different role in the lives of the next generation coming up under us. Will you respond to that and become a part of somebody else's amazing testimony? Will you do it? We can make a massive difference in the world of tomorrow by doing this today. I want to ask you to just bow with me in prayer. Before we pray... I want to just ask you in quiet to do a little reflection. You've heard me say a lot of things, but I think God is really wanting to say something to us. Not to condemn you, but to compel you inwardly to change. Let him do that in you right now. Don't fight him. Just let him speak and listen. Let's do that for a couple minutes. sense rather strongly right now that for some of us in this room God is really doing a work and a very sharp conviction is wanting to rise in your spirit in your most honest moment you know that God has told you the truth and you want to change something but there's this 
other voice in you that says, calm down, be realistic. Do you know how hard it would be to change all this overnight? How inconvenient it would be? We're going to ask the Holy Spirit right now to silence that other voice, the one that tells us what can't be done. Listen to the voice of God calling you out into life change and say, help me to keep my eye on the prize of what could be if I would obey you in this. We'll figure out how much it costs later, but right now we need to go to this place with God. So let it rise in your heart. Let it come out and respond to Him. Let's pray for strength. want to say to you church that while we focus on areas where we can grow as spiritual parents in my years at harvest I have marveled to see what healthy parenting we have here in this church I've watched so many of you hold your children with genuine love and tenderness teach them so effectively how we ought to live I've gotten to know your kids as they've grown up over the years and I see them becoming godly young men and women. And I want to celebrate in Christ what He's already doing in your lives. Our children are so blessed to be in this church, in your families. I want you to know that. And while some of these words that I've preached today may make you think about where you're not perfect, Let's banish any spirit of guilt which wants to creep over this room and say we are doing so much right. God, help us to do more right because our next generation depends on it and you will have your glory. So let's ask the Lord to do that. Banish this creeping spirit of guilt from this room and ask the Lord to move us forward into doing greater things for Him. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.